When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's deputy editor and podcast host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks, and shortcuts. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast, Monica Gawarden, and as well as being a long-term contributor to Olive Magazine, Monica has a best-selling recipe app and is the author of two cookery books, Indian Kitchen, and a brand new book, Tali, which came out at the end of last year. Welcome, Monica. Welcome, Janine. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me, and I am super excited to be here. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. And we've asked you here today to share the 10 things that you think we need to know about Tali. Obviously, mm. it's the subject of your, your new book. Mm-hmm. Um, some people might have eaten in that style before, but for people who haven't, w- what is a Tali? So, Janine, Tali is literally, um, it translates to a large plate. Uh, and it comes to mean like a complete meal that's actually served on a platter. So when you actually think of the small bowls that include stir fries, curries, dried vegetables, snacks, um, chutneys, pickles, all of that actually served, um, you know, in a large plate. And that's essentially what a thali is. Um, you've said for your your number two point that it's all about balance. Tell us about the balance in thali. I think, Janine, when you actually think about um, what really is a good thali, it has to be about balance. Because essentially, when you think about Indian cooking, you know, we have spoken about this before on the podcast. And even when I did the column for Olive, that, you know, over 70% of the population in India is actually vegetarian. So what that essentially means is that the pulses, the grains, the beans, um, you know, the preserved food... um, the fried food, all of that actually uh, not just is vegetarian, but is brimming with flavor. And I think when you think about a balanced meal, you think of flavor, you think think of texture, you think of warming curries. So I think uh, balance in flavor essentially comes from the fact that you're not getting searingly hot curries that will actually numb your palate. But it also means that you get hot, sweet, sour, tangy, all of that in one meal. But at the same time, when you look at a whole thali, And the way it's served, you will have dairy, you will have lentils, you will have vegetables, which will be part of your gravy or curry dishes. You will have grains, which will come in the form of flatbreads. You will also have Mm. maybe some fresh fruit. 
you will have a preserved pickle, maybe like a turmeric pickle, like a turmeric root pickle, which is really, you know, one of the most key, key things to actually have a pickle on the plate because it's a small amount of sour and heat mm. that kind of lends itself. And all of that is actually served within one meal. So I think when you think of the different elements, you know, you have the warmth of all the spices, whether it's clove or ginger or black pepper or fennel, but then you also have all these other other textures. So I think you want that because visualizing the whole idea of actually eating a thali essentially means that you're actually taking a bit of your bread, you're dunking it in a dry vegetable curry, maybe, you know, a spinach and potato curry. So your aloo alu and palak, you're dunking in that. And then you're dipping it slowly in a warming, uh, steaming hot bowl of dal. And then you're sticking that in your mouth. Now, once you're eating that, you want a little bit of texture. So you think, okay, I'll have a small bite of my turmeric pickle. That'll give you the savory flavor and the little bit of spice kick. But then all of a sudden you want a little bit of coolness. So then you'll take a small spoon of your yogurt. So balance comes in your head, but it also comes on your palate. And I think that's mm. what we seek when we actually think about thalis. Talking about vegetables, your next point is is on seasonality and frugality because, yeah. you know, you said thalis have historically relied on seasonal ingredients. Tell, tell yeah. us about that. I think, look, you know, when we talk about uh, how the food changes across the whole, you know, gamut of the subcontinent of India, you realize seasonal cooking is such a big part of it. You know, we when, I mean, from the basic things of actually the the kind of oils that actually get used in every region is so different. You know, you could go to Bengal and they could use mustard oil, but you could go to, you know, Maharashtra, which and where Mumbai is, and they could be using peanut oil. And I think, you know, um, from there on, you realize even the vegetables grown are different. Um, you know, sag is predom- predominantly grown. Leafy greens are predominantly grown in the north of India. Yeah, the kind of vegetables we actually got in the West of India when I was growing up in India were different as well. So I think seasonal meant essentially what is available in that season, of course. And, you know, we didn't have supermarkets when we grew up. So and of course, even before that, you realize that um, what was served on your plate was essentially what was actually bought from the market. Mm-hmm. So there was no option of getting, I don't know, mangoes from Peru. <laughs> so, you know, mangoes had to be eaten in May and it was a short shelf life. And if you didn't get your fill then, then you wait another year to actually get really good mangoes. So I think, you know, and ironically, uh, amras is a very, very popular uh, dish that we actually add to the thali. Am is, you know, your pulp puree of the mango that we actually okay. So amras so, um, is, yeah, so it's actually amras, which is actually the rus, which is a puree of the mango, which is actually put mm. in the thali. And you eat that with puris. So it's a sweet mango puree. It's eaten with crispy, fluffy puris. You dip your puri in that. And honest to God, like I have spent many, many summers where one part of my thali had amras and you could have that right at the end or you could have that during your meal. And it was just absolutely sensational, amazing. But when I talk, when I talk about seasonality, that's what I mean. But when I talk about frugality, when I'm talking about leftovers. So, you know, there's a really nice recipe actually in Thali, which is called Kothimbir Vade. And it's actually coriander um, cakes. And they are basically the whole, you make a little roll of it, you steam that roll of the cake, the whole roll of coriander with some gram flour, you steam it. And then you cut it in small little cake size, bite size pieces, and then you pan fry it until it's crispy and golden brown. And, you know, my mother would make them regularly for us. But the thing is, right, that dish, you have to use a coriander root, you have to use a coriander stem, you have to use the leaves. 
And I think also, like, as a, you know, when you think of, think about things like onion bhajis, onion pakoras, I mean, mm. we do it, I suppose in the West, people only do it with onion. But if you had any leftover veg in Indian homes, what essentially they would be doing is taking the vegetables, whatever's left over, mixing it with some gram flour, maybe a bit of carom seeds, ajwain, turmeric, chili powder, mixing it all in and at, you know, uh, deep frying those to a nice crispy golden brown hue. Mm. And once that's done, you actually add that to your thali. So you're kind of, it's it's leftovers yeah. done well. <laughs> yeah. It's given those vegetables a second life, isn't it? Because it doesn't absolutely. have to be absolutely like that absolutely spunkingly fresh veg. No. That's great. Talking about things like deep frying, um, number four, you said cooking techniques are quite important because there's all different kinds. Tell us about that. I think, um, you know, there's that, this is what I also talk about when I when I say, you know, how a thali is kind of put together. I mean, let's just take a classic, you know, Bengali thali, which I have actually kind of put in the book as well. Um, and the elements of it essentially are steaming, deep frying, shallow frying, simmering, pickling. Mm. Those are techniques of cooking that we kind of take, you know, we, we, we look at them individually and we go, okay, maybe we can use that or whatever. There's um, a really nice recipe actually in the stir fry chapter. And it's it's actually one of my favorites. And it's a Bengali recipe. And it's actually called Bengali Kosha Charchari, which is essentially stir fried vegetables. But basically what we have used there is actually um, the stems of cauliflower and vegetable peelings. Now that is stir fried. So you actually use, you know, new potatoes, but you also use things like cauliflower stems and kind of, you know, all the little peels of the potatoes as as well, all in a stir fry with like mustard and ginger. So you've got a stir fry, which is kind of super simple, super easy to make. But then you know, um, there's a there's a really nice um, sort of a, a it's it's almost like a it's a aubergine dish, but it's it's like a dry dish. But you roast the aubergine, mm. and it's actually done with um, you know kind of onion and lime and chili, uh, and it's done with mustard oil, and that's another Bengali dish as well. So you kind of so on one hand there's one vegetarian dish that you've actually kind of stir fried, but the other one yeah. you have kind of roasted. Roasting it, yeah. Then you actually have your um, pantua, which is actually one of my favorite desserts, uh, which I've included in the book as well. Now pantua essentially is a Bengali sweet, and it's actually um, deep fried, crispy um, sweet potato dumplings. Oh wow! And they're steeped in a clove syrup. Now, um, so your Again, your taste sensations and your taste buds are all mm. kind of kind of getting, you know, really kind of tickled slightly because you've got you've got your preserved pickle, which is your tomato pickle, you've got your stir-fried vegetables, you've got your roasted vegetables, you've got your simmering chicken curries, which are actually part of the dish, you've got your dal, which is their chole dal, you've got puris, you've got rice. Mm. I mean, then you've got your, um, you know, your beetroot chop, which is a, a crispy fried, uh, savory beetroot cake. Um, I mean, the world's the oyster. So I think every single element, whether it's the pickling or, you know, the kind of stir frying or the, you know, grinding of spices or the deep frying or the baking, there's so much of that that goes into actually making and putting together a meal like this. Your, ne- your next point was on regionality, because in the same way that we've got millions of different combinations of dishes, <clears throat> each region has its own 
sort yeah. of style, doesn't it? Talk, talk to us a bit about that, the regionality. I mean, I, I think you you know it's one of my favorite topics, um, talking about regions. Um, I think I've spent most of my life uh, and my working life actually kind of eating and sampling so many different meals from across regions of India. You know, um, every region is so, so different, so diverse. Um, whether you actually go to Kerala and actually kind of, you know, um, have a sadhya, which is, you know, a little banquet, which is actually served at family gatherings or even their festival, which is Onam. Um, you know, their vegetable, vegetarian thalis are like brimming with so many, so many flavors. You can get about 40 mm. or 50 different dishes within one meal. Um, you know, I remember being, and I, I wrote about this in the book as well, being in, in Mumbai. And, you know, a lot of, I have a lot of friends who actually come from even the Bori community. And essentially yeah. Boris are, um, you know, a community that migrated from Yemen to Gujarat uh, in the west of India. So they actually kind of uh, spread their influence across the west of India, India and Gujarat, but they also came towards uh, Bombay. And I think one of the reasons I talk so highly of the Bori communities because we used to have Bori neighbors and they make one of the best and the most <laughs> finest biryanis ever. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have this thing called a, called as a Bori thal. Now, a thal essentially is a thali or a large platter, but the average size of platter is, uh, of a thali is essentially anywhere between 8 inches and 12 inches. So eight, you, mm. you, you'll get an 8-inch thali, you'll get a 10-inch, and then you'll get a 12-inch. Yeah. yeah. A thal will be a 24 or 30-inch. Wow. So essentially, what happens is this thal is actually served on either a little stool or on the floor. And then all of a sudden, you have all the people gathering around um, the thal and sitting in a in a circle. And then all the food will be kind of served in little pockets of the thal. So, you know, when they talk about how they begin and they end their meal, that's quite interesting as well. So I think if anybody is listening and they actually get a chance to go you know, to Gujarat or to Bombay and try a thal from a Bohori community. Please don't miss the opportunity of doing it. Yeah. Let's talk about your number six, which is um, Thali. Because, it, you know, it sounds quite grand and it sounds quite mm. celebratory, which it can be. Yeah. But also it doesn't have to be. You say it can be quite simple as well. Yeah. I think um, the classic example was the cauliflower stir fry we just mentioned. Mm. Okay. I mean, the thing about... You know, I was actually talking to somebody the other day and I said, so she was like, so do you cook a thali every day? I said, so for a midweek meal, I'm I'm busy, I'm working, you know, family life, you know, kind of. It's just, I want things that are accessible. I want things that are quick as well. But I think sometimes people tend to forget that just because your meal is quick does not, mm. for instance, I mean, what I mean by that is something quick is not mutually exclusive to something flavorsome. Yeah, I, and I feel like you you kind of can have both yeah. um, within one meal. But from my perspective, when I actually think about what I cook on a midweek, I will make one curry. I will make a flatbread for the family. I will put some yogurt on the side and have some pickle. Mm. Now, essentially, my plate is modern. It's from a supermarket or a, a British uh, home store. <laughs> and it has, you know, little bowls. It's not made of brass, it's not made of copper, it's not made of silver, and it's not made of steel. But the point is, I'm essentially serving something similar to a thali, but I'm serving it on modern dinnerware. Yeah. Now, I mean, going back to the everyday thali aspect of it, and this is what I say to people, you can cook the one dish, it doesn't have to be elaborate. 
and you can serve that with yogurt and maybe some flatbread and that in itself is perfect mm. um so the stir fry cauliflower for me is a classic example of what i'd make in the midweek um there's a really nice recipe for a broad bean curry um which is actually using sorry it's it's a butter bean curry but it's actually using tinned butter beans and yeah. it's a chili and it's a tamarind and literally i think there's about four or five ingredients in there and that for me is my perfect go to staple because i always have tinned butter beans in in the house so i think you kind of have to look at the book in a way that you can make it as accessible as you feel like mm. and as elaborate as you feel like so yeah. sometimes if i have the weekend off which i do sometimes i will actually make sure that i'll kind of plan ahead and prep ahead so i normally always have a cooked dal in my freezer because on a Me sunday I'm, yeah like <laughs> I, i'll be batch cooking dal yeah so if you just make a big pot and have like i don't know two boxes or three boxes of that in the freezer for instance if in a midweek i've decided where i'm doing a stir fried vegetable and like to serve a dal with it then i just mm. take out one box from the freezer and that's my dal ready yeah or even like for instance if i want to make a pickle in like a large vat of pickle then i'll just do like a big jar and then some of it i give away to my friends and some i keep and then i have the pickle and it's a preserved pickle so it'll keep for months you know and uh, you know days when i don't have time then i'll be having um, you know just flat bread stuff with pickle and even that's equally delicious <laughs> or your cheese toasties with oh, pickles my cheese while you're toast- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no that but that's a great i think that's a great shout as well because you know like you said you're making one you're making one hot dish then you've made some rice then you've got a bit of yeah. yogurt and you can do your like you know sliced um, red onion and tomato on the side with a bit of coriander and it kind of makes you feel like you've got like a fresh element and a little cooling yogurt element Absolutely. and a rice element and then you're kind of building your own little you know you can get it as elaborate as you want but I look yeah just just eating that way perks your palate up as well because you're Absolutely. constantly having different bits but I think just um, because you know if you if your listeners are kind of attempting one just to say that if you do two ingredients or two two dishes or three dishes mm. you just want to remember that even that in itself is balanced because your number 7 was how to serve it and what mm. to serve it in and you mm. talked about the the um the banana leaves and the um the banyan tree leaves mm. um obviously i think in some places people can actually buy banana leaves now i think you can get them online if you wanted to be a bit fancy and get them yeah, yeah. but um tell us a bit more about the little traditional dishes because i know that when we um i was lucky enough to go to monica's book launch dinner which was gorgeous and you had these lovely little brass pots that you got made specially for us with different sections in was, yeah. was that particular tolly okay thing? so um i think i've just been really fortunate so i actually um just in the lead up to launching the book i was working with a um, a female brand female owned company in india um called ekis and ekis essentially means 21 and you know it's um their ethos and the way they were actually kind of uh, positioning uh, dinnerware was really really fantastic because what they essentially do was they were trying to take all the elements that we actually use historically in indian cooking and kind of make them slightly more accessible and modern mm. now one of the thalis i actually had uh, i had two different kinds of thalis actually so one of them was a copper and a terracotta thali and a copper thali essentially you know anything copper copper and we used to actually have copper uh, in my home in india so our water mm. jug was actually copper 
and even our glasses were copper and what it does is, is it keeps the water cold in this mm. in the hot summers in india and that's a good thing actually but to be honest like it also has so much goodness in the metal itself that when you mm. drink from it there is it it kind of helps your body it cleanses you know okay. it's great for a detox it's amazing so that was a that was like a dumb thing in my house so i think when i actually saw the opportunity of getting a copper thali nothing thrilled me more <laughs> um but this was slightly more fancy may i add janine because it actually the the inside was copper so you were eating from a copper uh, yeah. sort of you know sort of bowl or thali but the exterior of that um sort of utensil was essentially covered in terracotta yeah now terracotta is traditional yeah uh, is extremely traditional so if you go to the west of india for instance and you are drinking i mean you could go even in the north and a lot of other places and regions cross india and you could you're drinking chai or you're drinking lassi or you're drinking chhas they'll actually give it to you in a terracotta mug okay and they are essentially quite tiny they're really tiny mugs but you drink from it once and you break it oh okay but when you break it it's very it's, it's very light as well to hold but when you break it they they can kind of um mold that back. sort of yeah they can mold it back so they make they can make fresh ones and you know they have in in small smaller villages across the region of the west of india they will have you know little kind of carts and stalls where they make them in like mountains like you mm. know good like 80 90 different small mugs so terracotta is quite it it comes from the soil it comes from the earth yeah so it's a very natural product in itself so it it was that was one of the other ones but i think the one we served the launch also was brass and uh, the exterior was actually kind of enamel but it was hand painted mm. and it was it was beautiful but i think also brass again um you know they call it kansa it actually lends something really really special to when you eat from it um mm. but i think when we go back to how it was served so when you talk about for instance asian stores nowadays have stock even chinese supermarkets would actually stock um you know banana leaves Mm. So if you can find them that'll be amazing because then you can serve a stir-fried vegetable maybe some kind of a you know rice and flatbread and your pickles and your snacks all of that on a thali. Would that go straight down <coughs> on the banana leaf? <clears throat> right so there's two ways of doing it. So if you have a round platter or a round thali you can actually yeah. stick the banana leaf inside the thali. Right. Okay. But if you don't have a thali and you just want to serve it on the banana leaf and so just clean it really nicely. The other tip I would give anybody is actually using a banana leaf is actually take it and hold it just right above um an open flame just to kind of okay. make it slightly more kind of loose and kind of flexible. Uh, okay. And also that that kind of make, gives it a lovely shine as well. Nice. And then once you've done that, place that on your table. Yeah, just as is. Give it a wipe. and then you know place all your food so you can put your rice on there you can put your flatbread on there you can put your pickle you can put your snack you can put your stir fry on there and then when it comes to your dal and if people of course who are eating are not pros at eating it off a banana leaf then you can have a little bowl yeah <laughs> for any kind of curry dishes um and yeah uh, it's just a really really nice way so i think there's you know of course banana leaves were very popular and still are uh but when we talk about banyan leaves as well the banyan tree leaves you know those were really popular back in the day as well so there's various different ways of actually how to serve it how to eat it and mm. let's talk about the next thing which is the order of eating i didn't realize there was an an order yeah, talking through it yeah i think there's <laughs> i mean legit there's an order but i also feel like it's also down to every region and how they actually okay. do it 
Um, you can start left to right or right to left. Uh, and when I talk about it, for instance, um, you know, when you when you think about the way it's there's an order of eating. And there's also, like I mentioned to you, um, when I was talking about the bhori thals, they start with a sweet and okay. they follow that with a savory. So they start with a meathas and then they follow that with a karas. Now, um, there is a logic to the way they actually do it. But if you go to the east of India, in Bengal, um, they essentially start, um, uh, you know, their meal actually with a, a vegetable curry, which has okay. got bitter gourd in it. So it's called shukto. Mm -hmm. And essentially, that the idea of be beginning your meal with something bitter almost for them uh, signifies that you are opening your palate. Right. And then it's kind of, it also aids digestion. So it, it it's a great way to kind of start your meal and then go into whatever else you actually kind of mm. follow that on with. But I think when we also think about um, the sweet element of what is actually served on most thalis, um, you know, Gujaratis, Marwadis from Rajasthan will have a lot of sweets um, included as part of the um, main thali. And also that that's down to not just the religious essence of it. It's also down to, you know, um, ostentatious um, occasions. Yeah. So if you go for a Marwadi wedding or you go to Lucknow, you'll realize that, you know, when they are serving their thalis or they're having sweets in their thalis, the more sweets you actually add... It shows how how much wealth and rich there is. Ah, so you're showing off with your sweets. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> but hey, I don't have a problem with that because I'm like, <laughs> no, do you know no, what I mean? I like it. <laughs> no, but also I think like um, you want to be able to kind of, I yeah. suppose, eat. I mean, the, look the, after. Look, yeah. yeah, and look after, and you know. Every Indian occasion, there's not a single Indian I don't know who says, "Would you like something mm. to eat? Can I actually cook for you?" It's it's that that w I think the warmth and the sense of kind of you know bringing you in is about feeding you, and mm. I find food is such a great level of conversation that you know this is a good thing for all of us. Let's briefly recap because we've touched on it a few times, but um, yeah, you're. Your number nine was what what a classic tali is made up for. So just briefly, if we break it down into, you know, what what you what you kind of sectioned into your book, what what is that? I think when I talk about the sections, essentially the idea was to actually break it down into what is included in the thali. So, yeah. you know, my first chapter was stir fried vegetables, because I think that's a yeah. really important, vital part of it. Um, you've got the curry section, of course, you know, yeah. each thali will have that, but you've got chicken, you've got lamb, you've got fish, and you've got a really uh, good, you know, uh, sort of hearty chapter on vegetarian recipes Veggies, as well. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But then you've got, once you've done your seafood curries as well, then you go on to all the other, you know, interesting elements. Then you got, you, I think for me, it was really vital to have a chapter on dal, yeah. um, because that is such a vital part of every thali that you actually eat. Um, but then you've got your snacks because snacks lend texture, whether it's your coriander cakes or it's your sweet potato cakes or it's your paneer uh, skewers. They all lend texture. They all lend flavor. Um, so you've got your snacks, which make a huge part of it. Then you've got your condiments and your raitas. And the condiments I mean by pickle, you know, there's a really nice gajar mevanu achar, which is a Parsi pickle. And it's actually served essentially during Parsi weddings where they have mm. a feast that's similar to, you know, a thali and 
it's just one of the most phenomenal recipes. You know, you could go for a garlic pickle or a turmeric pickle or a Bengali chutney. Uh, raitas to go with it and then desserts and drinks so I think yeah. it's the division is such that it gives you a little bit of everything along with breads and all that so yeah I think it it was a very conscious decision to divide the book in the way the thali was served because I think you can choose yeah. one element from each chapter mm. or one element from one chapter yeah mix and match I yeah absolutely it. and keep on eating um, <laughs> finally Monica you've touched on it a few times but um, it's one of my favorite things to cook Dal is not just dal, is it? Mm. It's not, it's, I mean, I think people have got this conception that dal is just a cooked lentil dish, mm. but it's so much more complex and interesting than that. Talk, talk to us about dal. Okay, I think when we think about dal, we think, okay, chana dal. Yep. The obvious one that most people actually retail and serve and also cook in most homes across the UK or in the West. But I think the the thing I was trying to flip around, you know, and I do, the, I hope that's easily conveyed, not just in the book, but as essentially in every aspect of my cooking is that Indians don't eat chana dal as an everyday dal. Okay, it's a very strong, it's a dried split pulse which is used commonly in Indian, Indian cooking, but again, not so commonly used because it's a really thick pulse. You know, it's a grain, it's a dal, which takes a very long time to cook and break down. Okay. What that also means, Janine, is it, it takes that much longer for your body to also digest that dal. So chana dal is not your um, everyday dal option if you're looking for one. I think the one that we normally use in Indian cooking would be tur dal, which is the most common one. And actually is, you know, kind of a split pea. And basically the other one is your red lentils, which is your masoor dal. That's the most right. commonly one that's actually sold across supermarkets and, and stores in the UK as well. Now, that, the, the reason I mentioned masoor or red lentils is because that cooks very, very quickly. Yeah. So in 20 minutes, it, it kind of disintegrates, dissolves into the water along with the turmeric and you've got your dal ready. You just have to cr crush it, you know, mash it. Mm. But when we talk about dals, I think people tend to forget that there's so many of them. There's chana dal, there's moong dal, there's tur dal, there's masoor dal, as I mentioned. There's urad dal, which is actually used quite commonly in South India to make your idlis and your dosas for the batter. Mm. But it's all, urad dal is also used in North India to make the black dal, which is your kali right. dal. So I think when you think about the kind of dals used, it's really important and crucial to identify what is it that you're cooking? How long do I actually have to cook it? And what do I need it for? There's a really, really nice recipe, which is actually in um, the cookbook thali, which is um, suva ki sabzi. So it's actually a dill, stir-fried dill dish, and it's actually served with chana dal. So it's cooked with chana dal and uh, fresh dill and spinach. Mm. Now, for a dish like that, when I'm thinking about it visually, I'm like, I need texture. So I need chana dal. That's how you've got to look at it. Right. Because it doesn't break down. As it doesn't said, break down. And I'm getting texture when I'm actually cooking it. Yeah. But then when I'm thinking about like a khichdi we were talking about earlier, which is farani khichdi, I want something that's soupy, something creamy, something really delicious. I want moong dal because that will disintegrate really quickly. And or it's like mung bean. So it, it, it will disintegrate really quickly. But at the same time, it'll also kind of, you know, be become slightly creamy and kind of really mm. lovely and unctuous. And it'll it'll give me that sense of comfort that I'm looking for. Mm. Now, moong dal is basically green mung bean. Okay. So there's two ways you can look at it. Moong dal as a whole, if you look, it's, it's like urad dal, which I'm sure I've actually spoken to you about in the podcast previously. So when you look at urad dal, it's a black dal. 
Yeah. Yeah. When you split it in half, that's that's kind of a, a halved and, and it's still got the skin on, but it's actually halved. So you can get split back black dal as well. Yeah. Or you and or you can get it without its skin and that's white. Yeah. Now on the other contrast, if you look at moong dal, the whole grain is actually green. Okay. Yeah. So if you half it, that's your kind of split green. And when you take the skin out, it's yellow. So there's a really nice recipe in the book for for dhokla, which is a steamed savory cake. And it's actually made, the batter for that is made with the green mung beans. You don't have to do anything. You literally have to just soak it and grind it. Yeah. And then, then you have to add your ginger and your chili to it. Make the batter really well. Stick it in a small vessel and steam it. Yeah, 17, 20 minutes in the steamer and you're done. And you rest that and it's like a savory cake that they eat in Gujarat. And honestly... Like it gives you texture because it's already got that uh, green skin in it. So it's got the yeah. texture, um, but it gives you a lovely kind of grainy husky flavor along with the spiciness of the ginger and the chili. It's mm. absolutely gorgeous. So I think it depends. You've got to just think about, I mean, you look at the Andhra dish in the book, which is called Andhra Tomato Papu. And essentially that uses tool dal because not only do you want a dal that's going to be quick enough to cook, but you want something that will disintegrate and actually still hold its own and actually have a little bit of depth and texture. Right. And Tur Dal does that. It's amazing and, how, how important each of these things are and, you know, how they're used. So the fact that we often think of it as a interchangeable thing, it's just no. not at all. It's very particular, yeah. I mean, um, yes, they, they are interchangeable, but Janine, they're not a like-for-like like swap. That's what I yeah. would say. So, yeah. for instance, somebody who's listening right now will go, Oh, but I have chana dal. Can I not use that for a goan dal, which I've actually included in the book? Um, now, the goan dal essentially is a, is a spicy dal made with Sejuan pepper. Yeah. But you can swap it. However, the cooking times will vary. It'll be longer, yeah. Be a lot so longer. you've got to yeah. think about that. And also, yeah. like, you know, when you look at some of these dals, the texture is not very coarse because that... You know, the coarseness, like you look at a choler dal, which is actually from the east of India. And that's yeah. made with chana dal. And you want that creamy texture, but you also want a little bit of kind of graininess to it. And chana dal doesn't break down so easily. So that's great. But then some of these regions, you know, you want something that's palatable with your kind of your chapati or your roti. Yeah. So you want something that will mix with your rice. So you don't want that hard, tough texture. You want something that will that, be quite easy to kind of, you know, eat as well and digest. So Amazing. a few things to think about. I think the only thing, the only tip I will say is try and stock up on red lentils or tur dal for an everyday lentil. Yep. And for anybody who wants to make something rich and creamy, try the Bengali dal, which is in the book, which actually uses chana dal as well. And that's great. But the other thing to say is we talk about things like asafoetida, which we've spoken about in the podcast in the past. Yep. Yeah. With every dal recipe, try and actually get hold of asafoetida, which you can add at the start of your cooking process, because what that will do is actually aid digestion. So it'll help you digest okay. your lentil better. Cool. And that is, I mean, I, I, I've got a sfatita that I bought from uh, a well-known supermarket. So it is, it's kind of out there. And actually my local um, Sainsbury's has got Tuadal, yeah. Mondal and Red Lentils in, in the, yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, it so is. So they're easily more, available. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you could probably write a whole book on doll, Monica, as well. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, those, those were great. And Thank you for, for imparting all of that wisdom. Um, you can find um, Monica's book out now. It's called Tali, A Joyful Celebration of Indian Home Cooking. 
Um, and and that's that's out that's been out since the end of last year, hasn't it? So it has. it's, a be- it's, it's a beautiful book. I've cooked loads from it. Um, <laughs> everyone should go and buy it. Um, and where's the best place for people to to catch up with you about news and what you're doing and various bits and pieces? Of Instagram or your yeah, website? Instagram. Um, you know, yeah, the website as well. But yeah, you and me know Instagram is where life is right now. Yeah. So Instagram is 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 that still at at Kokinakari, um, yeah, you know, brilliant. or you can check out the website. There's lots and lots of recipes on there as well. Uh, you can drop us an email and I'm, you know, quite sort brilliant. of quick at replying. So, yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming to chat. Thank today, you Monica. for that having brilliant. me. This was amazing. Okay. And I could talk to you forever. But no, yeah. thank you so, so much. <laughs> thanks, Monica. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.